If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You are tuned in, hopefully tuned back in mm-hmm. to Civic Cipher. Indeed. And uh, we are having a fantastic time and uh, in fellowship and becoming educated by the one and only Theo E.J. Wilson, a man known for his many viral moments online uh, and a man known for his experiments <laughs> that have yielded some results and some insight into what it means to be really the victim of an algorithm and to find yourself in an echo chamber, which is often the case for our, especially our far right leaning brothers and sisters. So we're having an educational conversation uh, with him and we have a whole lot more of that in store. Uh, in particular, we're going to get his thoughts on CRT, uh, his show, I Was There. We want to talk about that first and so much more. But first and foremost, it is time to discuss BA, BA, Baba, becoming a better ally. So today's Baba is sponsored by Friends of the Movement. You can sign up for the free voter wallet at FOTMglobal.com to support black businesses and allied businesses, as well as make an impact with your spending. Again, that is FOTMglobal.com. And today's Baba we would like you to do this very special thing for us. We want you to know the name, follow the social media, and support the candidate, Kasim Rashid. Um, that is spelled Q-A-S-I-M, no you, Q-A-S-I-M-R-A-S-H-I-D. He is a Pakistani-born American author, an activist, and an attorney. He's a member of the Democratic Party, and he's currently running for the Democratic non- nomination for Illinois' 11th Congressional District for 2024. Kasim Rashid is a human rights lawyer who built his career fighting for survivors of domestic violence, asylum seekers, and low-income communities. He and his family immigrated from Pakistan to the United States when he was five. As a child, Kasim grew up in Section 8 housing in DuPa- DuPage County. Kasim's parents, who were both teachers, instilled in him a deep commitment to service and humanity and upholding justice. Um, his website is kasimrashid.com. That's Q-A-S-I-M-R-A-S-H-I-D. And you can donate to his campaign. His social media is at Kasim Rashid. Uh, at present, I believe he is saying that he is being shadow banned, still getting plenty of views, but please give him a follow, give him your support. I know that Q, Q brought him to my attention. Mm-hmm. So I know you're a huge fan of this guy. But um, he is a very measured man, very, I believe, to be compassionate, at least based on what I know, and a person who's fighting to make the world a little bit better. He could use your support in this moment. So again, KasimRashid.com. All right, back to the lecture at hand to quote the one and only Snoop Dogg, um, Mr. Theo. Great philosopher Snoop Dogg. The great philosopher Snoop Dogg, Mr. Theo E.J. Wilson. Okay, so decolonizing the narrative mm-hmm. that is a very eloquent way to say what i know that you've been saying but you know for the benefit of our listeners give them a little bit about what that means and where that comes from well you can't have colonialization without a narrative that supports it it's a manifest destiny holdover we are dealing with the fallout of an ahistorical society as 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 america truly is uh this is the land of forgetting brother mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. the land where even white folks was beaten out of speaking their native language don't you speak that german that gaelic that polish that italian mm-hmm. right 
let alone what happened to black folks, let alone what happened to the indigenous folks in them boarding schools. And so we have a narrative that has been put in place that we have been lulled asleep by, and you got to do it. If you are somebody who slaughtered a whole bunch of indigenous folks and whipped a whole bunch of Africans, how do you sleep at night? How do you sleep at night? You have to fabricate a bedtime story that makes it easier for you and your children to fall asleep, knowing that there are so many black and indigenous bodies under the empire. And um, specifically, critical race theory. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, like... Or ha which which is not what we're dealing with. I mean, it's all from the sixteen nineteen project. Yeah, which it's is, it's American history, but it's fully American history, right? It's been called indoctrination by those who have been indoctrinated, hmm. and specifically, they were indoctrinated by Mildred Rutherford and the Daughters of the American Confederacy. Wow, say it, the Daughters of the American Confederacy. They are the only ones to lose a law a war and win the narrative, and. This was a movement started way back uh, during the Reconstruction era to frame the South in a better light. And the Daughters of the American Confederacy were the only ones to have power to rewrite the history books of the North and the South. And so by the time we get to the time that my parents were in school, it's 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 no coincidence that like there was like a page and a half about slavery and everything was about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. Mm -hmm. They even took northern history and removed the bodies from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the Dodgers American Confederacy, they've had children's camps. They've had literal, you know, I mean, they had songs. They preserved like um, antebellum history in paintings. There's these friendly portraits of Robert E. Lee reading books to children, right? Mm. And they've had the run of the day up and until now where they got folks who are their descendants who are rewriting history books in the state of Texas, calling black yeah. folks involuntary immigrants. Yeah, mm. we, we talk about that quite a bit. Right. So you got to know where it came from. And like most people who are against critical race theory have no idea about Mildred Rutherford and the Daughters of the American Confederacy and how... She is responsible for the indoctrination that we are fighting to break with narratives like the 1619 Project. That's decolonizing the narrative. Listen, that is a masterful explanation. And um, what I've learned, Q, Q will chime in here. What I've learned is that when you have a, a degree of eloquence to a statement, you know, brevity and eloquence, I think that intersection, it moves the needle. Um, it gets people interested, not to say that it won't be challenged, but I think that it can go a little bit further. And Q brought up a great point. I, I, I firmly believe in a lot of, in principle, what the movement defund the police stands for. I believe that there's the, the ideas have a lot of merit, but the packaging, the freezing mm, was, right. and, and this was Q's position go ahead yeah there was the the resistance was so prepared for a statement like defund the police they got to jump on that and make it sound like we were all doomed if something like this was to come to pass even though if they gave you bullet points of everything that defund the police meant and and wanted to accomplish most intelligent people would say you know those are some good ideas right 
yeah. but defund the police, the, 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 the packaging, the marketing turned people off so fast that we never even got to get to the meat of what was trying to be accomplished. At least a lot of individuals never got to that point. You know, you that, know. that packaging made it easy for those who opposed it to oppose it. Sure. It was just, well, let me, well, I heard it. I was like, man, I wish we could have said that different or better. Right. And how I would have said it is deburden the police. Whew. There you go. So that's why I'm, I'm a fan of lighten their load. I'm a fan of lighten their, just, 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 just lighten their load. And, and here's why it becomes relevant to, I was there because we filmed, I was there in Minneapolis okay. and that, you know, I was housed for the filming 14 minutes away from George Floyd square during the entire filming of that. And on my off days, I would hang out in George Floyd square with the uh, sister who's in charge of that. Her name is Janelle. And we talked about what it was to live in a community policed zone and what we were really trying to get. In fact, when I was there, <laughs> no pun intended in Minneapolis filming the ballot measure to actually disband the police was voted on, which of course that ballot measure failed. Mm -hmm. But it's literally all about the fact that, you know, we don't call the firemen to take the kid out the tree no more. They not for that, right? Mm -hmm. Here in Denver, we have, and Ramsey's posted about this, and I've, the, I, I think it's stars, but we have ride-alongs with mental health professionals mm -hmm. that when it is a mental health call and somebody is in crisis, they get out the car first. The police is there just in case it hits the fan. I don't know if I can curse here, but just, just in case things hit the fan, right? Because their burden is too heavy. They are a hammer. Everything look like a nail. Yeah. And so you can't be surprised when they end up smashing stuff. Mm -hmm. So deburdening the police, dispersing their responsibilities so that they can focus on the things that we really need them for, like interceding when a mass shooter, for example, takes place, yeah. which they failed in U Uvalde, but they picked up. Actually, if you've been looking, <laughs> people are like these police officers are like, we're not going to be Uvalde PD, yeah. right? So that's what we need cops for, mm -hmm. right? And I'll end my diatribe with this. I got locked up in Florida when I was an undergrad. Uh, I was actually protesting on behalf of Palestine back when I was in college. And how we dare you? How dare I mm -hmm. see what's really happening? But um, when I was locked up, I, you know, and I, I mean, these cuffs were super tight. I remember they, they cut me to this bar in the holding cell and I just listened to the police. And these were working class Joes working too many hours, not getting paid enough. And what the cops were talking about was just like, I need more money to make ends meet. And this job I have ain't cutting it. So when those working class Joes who have the job of policing her defund the police, it was exactly. like, I'm already not making enough as it is. Yeah. And that's the bird. And, and that's how literal wording something can change the outcome. Yeah. So this is why I was, again, a fan of the way that, you know, that that kept coming up in our converse, our earlier conversations that decolonizing the narrative. So um, so let's do this. I I really do want you to talk about um, I was there where where people can go and get that. Check that out. You know, um, I, I want to make sure that we plug that. So so let's do that before we move to this next part okay now basically this is a history channel special it's 12 part ep uh, 12 episodes on history.com 
And if you just uh, type in the search button, I was there, you'll see me in a trench coat with a really bad background. It's amazing what they did with that show. I got that show in the middle of the pandemic, bro. Mm. I have an agent that I attracted from the TED Talk to do nonfiction television. And this agent slid this project on my desk. They said, we need somebody who can carry a show. We need somebody with on-camera charisma, but it's not necessarily a big name. And we think you should audition for this. So when I auditioned for it, they was like, what you know about history? And they gave me like five examples. And I didn't know that my five examples blew everybody out of the park. But as a history buff already, kind of, I'd already been lecturing at the college level. Um, and with the other things, including a background in stunts, I used to actually get trained and be how to be a stuntman for the movies because the, the show is quite physical sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, it all led to me getting the part. And I was able to help in writing four episodes when it came to historical correctness, which made me an asset to the team. And it's a bunch of folks who really want to do the right thing at the History Channel, including talks that I was in about decolonizing the narrative. And mm. so great folks. I was there. History.com. Got it. Understood. OK, so. Um, I did want to ask this strange question. Okay, mm -hmm. One of the things that comes up for me and Q, at least, uh, is that you know, we're activists, but we work in a broadcast space. Mm -hmm. And so people ask us a lot of times, you know, what inspires your creative approach, your novel approach to activism? Well, you are the sort of person that we feel those things apply to. We only do this because we, this is what we do. You know, we're broadcasters. If we, if, if there was no need for black people to fight for equity in this country, we'd still be giving away Cardi B tickets. No problem there. We were having right. the time of our lives. We did this because it was necessary and ex an extension of our profession. But we get asked that question a lot and we don't ever have a really good answer for it. But in your case, I've seen you flex your creative muscles, again, primarily with the the, the story, the origin story, at least for you and, and my my view of going under underground and kind of learning how algorithms work and how how this divide has been established and is still growing in this country so i guess my question to to make it as succinct as, as i can is what inspires your novel approach to activism your unique brand of activism where does that come from i think that all of this to me is spiritual to a certain extent okay when i was at florida a m university it's when i kind of shook off my last bit of Christian indoctrination and found the metaphor behind all the religious hubbub. And this was a time in which I was expanding artistically anyway. My roommate was a rapper and he was a battle rapper. So he was, you know, dropping bars about, you know, you know, shooting brothers up and whatnot. But man, he was creative. And I started getting into rap because of him. And slowly over time, that evolved into spoken word. And I realized that I will never write a poem greater than I am. I have to evolve to a certain level in order for me to be a certain level of impactful with my art. Mm -hmm. So this was a spiritual thing that I expressed through my art. And that journey began at Florida A&M University. And I noticed that there's a lot of times spiritual stuff wasn't touching the ground. It was highfalutin. It seemed philosophical, but boring. I wanted to see if I could make my art be impactful in the real world. Now, yeah. after college, I got beat up by the cops. Horrible story. 
But in regaining my footing, in regaining even my masculinity, even regaining my sense of identity, poetry was paramount in that. And so all of this began as an exercise in figuring out the most impactful way to, sp to be a spoken word artist, actually. Okay. So um, I'll say that one of my professors at Florida A&M University, Dr. Dana Denard, he said, speaking to brothers' minds is not enough. You have to speak to their souls. Oh. And I was like, what does that look like? How? Like, what's the mechanisms behind it? And that's really all I was trying to uncover. So there's many ways in which I do that. But the ability to articulate the idea, to create not just a good feeling, but a paradigm shift was what I practiced as a slam poet. And that skill carried over into activism and journalism. Mm. You know, what what happens, I appreciate the response, because what happens is um, there are a lot of people who listen to the show every week and, you know, they they wonder what more can they do and they mm. don't know how they can make an impact or whatever. And I think that your story and I, I, to a degree, our story, um, it, it illuminates just kind of starting where you are and doing what you can. Mm -hmm. um, with the gifts that you have available to you. And, uh, you know, it takes, you know, every, everything to move everything forward. But obviously a, a person with such a visible platform, you know, and, and, a, and a wider audience, um, those sorts of questions, uh, I think that they, they translate to our listeners, our more active listeners, especially, um, in, in a way that's really meaningful and impactful. So I appreciate your response. Um, now you mentioned something, we've been talking about this on the show as well. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, you were protesting once upon a time, what was going on in Palestine and Q and I, we do our best. What, what was and is. There you and go. Is. Yeah, yeah. And so we have been doing our best to, be responsible journalists um, and to respect, you know, all of our brothers and sisters that we share this planet with, regardless of their faith. Um, and for a person like you who has a, a long standing appreciation for what's been going on over there, I'll, I'll admit that I'm new to this conversation. Um, I want to ask, I feel it's important to ask, what are your thoughts on what's going on in Gaza as of late? We are watching a paradigm shift and we are watching the bill come due for Western imperialism. And what I mean by that is that for the last 80 years, the rightful compassion for Jewish people after surviving the Holocaust and losing, what was that, two-thirds almost of all Jews in Europe, um, bought the experiment of Israel a lot of goodwill and humanity. That will is running out as we speak. And it is because of the fact that in doing so, a devil's bargain was struck in partnering with the British Empire. Long before 1948, long before there was a Nakba, right, which is what the Palestinians called their great tragedy when 700,000 of them were displaced. Mm. 
Zionism targeted Palestine, but it did it in a time of imperialism. And the author of the first book about Zionism, whose name was Theodor Herzl, who wrote in uh, Austro-Hungarian, the Judenstadt, which is the Jewish state, first articulated, gave it legs, and in 1897 held the first Zionist conference, and he jockeyed all over Europe for a colonial partner. Israel was always supposed to be under the protectorate militarily of a colonial power. And so in that devil's bargain, a seed was planted and it could only create fruit that grew after its own kind. And now we are in harvest. Now we are seeing this. Time and space has created this birth that we are watching. This is what this has been all along. Mm. And, 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 and I will say that the humanity of the Jewish people is challenged by the inhumanity of how Israel was caused to exist. Not the idea of Israel. See, me as a Garveyite sometime, I can understand an oppressed people needing a home. As a Garveyite sometime, I can understand how wanting a place to call your own is a thing that all of us in the diaspora can appreciate. But the fact is, the colonial side of the experiment has been denied to even Jewish folks themselves. And those of us who sympathize, it's making itself nakedly clear. And sadly, that due is coming, that bill is coming due in blood. Mm. I thought I had a question, but you spoke to everything I wanted to ask. That that goodwill didn't just run out. It was misused in a very, very... Um, Unfortunately, brother. Yes, sir. In a very, very, you know, manipulative way. Right, right. Well, um, it always feels like we never have enough time on this show. That just means we got to keep talking. I mean, we got to have it back. I hope we can yeah, beg you to come back and talk to us, bro. Yes, indeed. Um, thank you, uh, Mr. Wilson, for your time today. Um, I apologize that it took so long, but we have a full on, uh, we're, we're on over 70 radio stations. So for those of you who've been listening to, for, to the show for a long time, we appreciate your support. We are nationwide and then oh yeah halfway back again hearing us for the first time yes indeed so this is civic cypher once again i'm your host ramses ja he is ramses ja i am q ward you guys uh are listening to civic cypher welcome to some welcome back to others uh mr wilson go ahead and shout out your social media so people can check in d-o-e-j wilson all one word on instagram i am kid charisma on tiktok guys darn it k-i-d-d-k-a R-I-Z-M-A-H on TikTok. Holla at work. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Peace.